one good sign of a church that's headed in the right direction is uh, growing children's ministry. And if you saw that, you saw a lot of kids going out the door, and uh, we've had a few of our young families give birth and adopt recently, and so um, we are trying to take literal God's command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and so we commend that. In fact, we're going to have a marriage enrichment weekend coming up in a few weeks, and you can encourage that even that much more to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. I'm reminded of Psalm 127, where it says, children are heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. It's so wonderful to watch our younger kids be excited every single Sunday morning to go out to kids' church. I'm not sure what it says about the preaching in here, but uh, I do know for certain that there is something that's going to happen that's fun and engaging downstairs, and we are excited about our children and children's ministry because kids are a blessing from God. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're continuing in our series, Next Steps. As I mentioned, our children, it really is amazing to watch the development of a child. I've got three daughters of my own. The oldest will be 11 next Saturday. The young, second is seven, will be eight in February. And then our youngest is four, going on 24. Uh, she is uh, a hoot, and they're all a hoot. But it's, it's fun. It's amazing to watch their development and to talk with them and see how they grow and progress and think more cognitively and and develop in all areas of life. When you think about when a child comes into this world, uh, they come in full of life, full of energy, full of voice. I mean, most children, when they're born in that delivery room, they are screaming, they're wiggling around, they're, they're trying to figure out what this new environment is. They've been stuck in a dark place that's warm and, and cozy for nine months, and now they're all of a sudden in a room and someone is smacking them on the backside. They're trying to figure it all out. Out And then from the delivery room, you enter this long season of growth as babies move from infancy into maturity, from newborn into adulthood. When you think about all that and you look at that, you see that it's not just arbitrary. There's purpose behind this season of growth. The child grows up to be sent out. Children are not given to us. Children are not blessed or we're not, as parents, blessed with children so that they stay with us. I, I love what uh, the Word of God says in Genesis chapter 2, that we're to leave and cleave. And so our children one day, if we raise them right, will leave and cleave with someone else and, and go and do what they're supposed to do as mature adults. Obviously, there's a moment when they do step from childhood to adulthood. We kind of define that culturally and in, in various cultures, but this is also a gradual process. As one, as a child, as an adolescent, now as a young adult, is putting into service what he or she has been learning and, and adapting and, and growing in their skill set and in their ability to use what they have learned. When you think about a believer, that process of growth, that process of discipleship is very similar when you think about what happens in the life of a believer, it happens at the moment of conversion as a sinner is separated, who is separated from God, puts his or her faith in Jesus and is born again into new life. Then that, that, that person, that new believer in Jesus enters into a season, enters into a process of growing from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. This growth happens 
as that believer gains spiritual nourishment from reading God's Word, from setting under the teaching of God's Word, from fellowshipping and experiencing biblical community, authentic community with other believers corporately and in smaller settings as we talked about last week. Learning how to pray, learning how to gather with others and grow with others. And as we talk about this morning, learning how to go and to serve the Lord with the church as well. We also see in, this, in the Bible this greater, or I shouldn't say greater, this new purpose or this next step in our purpose and in our discipleship for Christ to go, to serve the Lord, to be on mission for Christ taking the gospel to others. See, when we look at the early church here in Acts chapter 2, as we've been looking, we've been looking through the same passage there at the backside of Acts chapter 2 as the day of Pentecost is taking place, we're seeing that this process for discipleship is laid out before us in the early church and how they interacted and served the Lord and served one another. We see them mature in discipleship. And as a church, our goal is to help you understand, help you to know what your next step should be toward spiritual maturity. I shared with you a few weeks ago that I am a guy that when I get something new, I read the manual because I want to know what I'm supposed to do, step one, step two, step three, so that I don't mess anything up. And the beautiful thing that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is we see a process here in these early believers that we can emulate so that we can grow in our relationship and our service to the Lord. And so here at Red Lane, we simply describe it as this. Three words, come, grow, and go. These three words will help us understand the next steps we need to take in our spiritual maturity. And so you'll see a diagram there on the screen. We want you to, we believe you need to come to Christ. We believe you need to grow in Christ. And then we believe you as a believer need to go with Christ in service and on mission to others. And then as we do that, we invite others to come to Christ, to grow in Christ, to go in service and mission to others, and it's continually reaching, developing, and sending out believers to lost people who need to come to Christ. And so we've looked at coming to Christ. We've looked at growing in Christ. This morning, we're going to finish this mini-series and talk about going with Christ. Three simple words, come, grow, and grow. And as I mentioned, these three steps are laid out in the early church. If you've been with us the last two Sundays, you know that this book, the book of Acts, was written by the, um, the disciple Luke who walked around and, and ministered with the apostle Paul. And here he's writing this account, talking and telling us about the birth and the growth of the early church. And he tells us here that the church was instituted or came into being as we know it there in Acts chapter 1 as Jesus goes out onto the Mount uh, of Ascension and he ascends to the Father and they gives the church their marching orders to be their witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And so that 120 people then in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came, birthed into a, a burgeoning church of 3,000 people, 3,000 believers that then began to continue to grow in their faith. All of that happened because of the Holy Spirit that did some amazing things that allowed Peter and the disciples to preach the gospel and people's lives were changed. So if you will, look with me in Acts chapter 2 and let's begin reading just three simple verses this morning, four simple verses this morning, beginning reading in verse 44. Luke says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, as we've been walking through this passage, this historical moment in the life of the church, we have learned that the New Testament teaches us that individuals who repent of sin, come into relationship with Jesus, are immediately brought into the universal body of Christ. We are members of God's household, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 through 22. We see there that we are part of the body of Christ universally, past, present, and future, but the New Testament church, the church in general, is always locally expressed. In other words, when we read through the Old Testament, we see uh, letters written to the churches such as Colossae, churches in Philippi, churches in Thessalonica, church in Rome. We see them meeting and gathering with believers in Jerusalem. The church is always expressed locally, even though we know that we're members of the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're brought into this community, this household of faith, this temple, if you will, and we're dwelling together in community. So all of us come from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different historical things, different uh, sin issues that we repented of and turned to Jesus. But God brings us all together in Christ, and we are a unified body of believers. So what we see in the early church is a beautiful picture of what this community is to look like. Verse 46 points out that the early church met in corporate settings. And also, as we talked about last week, we see that they expressed their community in smaller settings as well. They met corporately for perhaps preaching and worship, and then they met for Bible teaching and worship together in smaller groups and accountability groups and developed opportunities to grow spiritually. We also see here that the church experienced incredible growth. 3,000 are saved there on the day of Pentecost. Then I love how verse 47 tells us that every single day, people were repenting of sin, coming to Jesus, and reuniting with the church. Day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers. How does that happen? How does that happen that people in the community were hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, and being saved and having their lives changed. What in the world happened to this early church that helped them literally turn their world upside down? Here's a question I want us to tackle real quickly this morning. What enabled the early church to go? I believe that what we're seeing here is not that this, the people in the community just, just came to the Lord. I believe what we're seeing in the early church is that as they obviously turned from their sins to Christ and began to grow in that relationship with Christ, they began to understand that they're there to be a witness, to be a light, to be someone who is sent to the people in their community. Remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They began where they were and brought people to Jesus. So what enabled the, this church, this early church, to go? Let me give you five things this morning. First of all, I believe we see here that they knew who they were. Verse 44 tells us, and all who believed were together. See, I believe that these new Christians, these new followers of Jesus, they had believed upon Christ. Therefore, we can look at this and we can understand that they understood who they were. They were believers in Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They knew who they were. 
regardless of whether they believed in Jesus before the crucifixion or if they came to Jesus on the day of Pentecost, they were believers in Christ. They had unequivocally put their full trust in Jesus. They were absolutely convinced that his death, his burial, and his resurrection had changed their lives. So this belief enabled, even compelled the early church to go in service and on mission with Christ to others. There's a second thing I believe we see here, and that is they knew whose they were. Not only did they know who they were, but they knew whose they were. We see in verse 36, if you remember, uh, Peter there, as he stands and preaches the gospel, the people hear it and they say, what shall we do? Why are they asking this question? It's because Peter, in verse 36, makes the argument that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah. We see in verse 44 that they are believers. Verse 47, we see again this concept of lordship, that the Lord was adding to their numbers. And so these believers understood whose they were. They had come to faith in Jesus. He was Lord. He was Savior. He owned them. The idea of lordship saturates this entire passage. It saturates the entire uh, book of Acts as we see the, un- the early church growing in this understanding of Christ's lordship over their lives. Where did these people come from? What did they turn from? These are Jews. They turned from Judaism to the gospel. But I want you to know something. They didn't just turn from one ideology to another ideology. They turned from the ideology of the, of the Old Testament understanding of salvation to what the Old Testament was always pointing to, and that was a person. They turned to Jesus. He was the one who was their Lord and their Savior. And I believe lordship enabled and compelled this early church to go in service and on mission with Christ to others. There's a third thing I want you to see about what enabled them to go, and that was that they knew what they possessed. We look and see in verse 45 that they, they took their belongings, they took their possessions, and they sold them and distributed to any who had a need. I'm convinced that the early church understood what they had, what they possessed, both physically as well as spiritually. They saw that they had land. They saw that they had property. They saw that they had certain things that they could sell and use the proceeds to help and minister and meet and dean in a person's life. But I also believe it went a step further that there was some spiritual stuff in their life, some spiritual giftedness that they were utilizing and using. You see, Barnabas was a a, a man who had the gift of encouragement, and he used that. He was also a man, as we're going to see if we were to go a couple chapters further in the, in the book of Acts, that he sold a piece of property and he gave it as well. He was a man who understood that his gift, something that God had given him especially, was this heart and this desire to be generous to meet the needs of others and encourage them in the faith. And so they knew what they possessed. And today for us, in order to help someone, you have to know that you have the means to help that person. This tells me that the early believers understood their giftedness. They understood their possessions, and we too must understand our giftedness and our possessions and utilize them in the service of others. A fourth thing we see here that God used to help them to go, and that is they saw the need of others. It's one thing to know what you possess. It's another thing to, to know that you have something that can meet a need in someone else's life, that you're able to see those needs. And when you think about maturity, you see that one of the signs of spiritual maturity is a focus over, on others over and above yourself. As we, uh, I mentioned earlier, that, that it's amazing to watch kids develop, but as you 
look and, and, and study the life of a, a younger child, you see that their life revolves around them. Everything in life revolves around them. We as parents, we're like, we just kind of rotate around them like they're the sun and we're the earth, and we just kind of do all that. And so they grow up with that. But as they get older and older, they begin to understand, I'm not the center of the universe. In fact, I don't want to be the center of the universe. I want to help others. I want to serve others. I want to be a blessing to other people. I want to see others' needs. It's a sign of maturity. The early church's sense of community created an environment where believers' eyes were open and looking for people in need. When you think about what it tells us in verse 45, that they sold their possessions and distributed to anyone who had need, how did they do that? Well, they saw the need. They were looking for the need. That's the only reason they sold their property. And so it also tells us that they were generous. Verse 46 They had generous hearts. They had begun to take on the characteristics of Jesus. And as my friend and mentor always says, you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. They were generous. They were looking for the needs of others. This compelled and enabled them to go. And there's a fifth thing that I believe enabled them to go. And that is they serve for the glory of Christ and the good of others. They serve for the glory of Christ and the good of others. Notice that there's no self in this text. They're not looking out for themselves. They're not looking out how they can benefit. They're not giving what they have so they can get a tax break. Here's what's happened in the local church now because our tax laws have changed a little bit. I've talked to some of my pastors, and we've noticed it here, that some of our giving is a little down this year because it's not as advantageous for you to give from a tax break because you can take the first 24000 right off the top without itemizing. May that never be true of a believer that we would give only because we get a tax break. I believe there's going to be a day, probably not so far down the future, that we we will get no tax benefits from giving to local places like this, worship and churches and nonprofits. That should never change my giving, though. I should be a giver because God is a giver. I should be a giver because I have received so much for him, and I want to be a blessing and a benefit for others because it's not about me. It's for the glory of Christ and the good of other people. The focus here with this church was not self. It was Christ and it was others. It was their brothers and sisters. It was the community at large. Everything they did was for the glory of God and the good of others. There's no concept of what's in it for me in this early church. And so this was their motivation. This was the enablement for them to go and to be on mission for Christ. Let me give you a practical truth this morning. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, especially when we look at the the book of Acts and we study the early church and we think, man, that's awesome. The early church was amazing. The early church was doing magnificent things. And, man, we could only aspire to be like that. But we really don't think that we can be like that. Or we don't really think that that can be part of who we are and how we operate or how we even think. We think it's high and lofty, pie in the sky type stuff. But I want you to understand a practical truth this morning. What was true for the early church in Jerusalem can be and should be true of the church today. We should be generous. We should be outward focused. We should be looking in our community and and seeking how we can minister and and reach them with the gospel. We should be a, a body of Christ that looks at one another and loves one another and accepts one another and serves one another, not thinking it's what's in it for me, but how can I be Jesus to someone else? That was the early church, and it should be the church today. I'm grateful, though, that we do have a church that loves people. We do have a church that loves one another. We love our community, and we're growing 
in that each day. And so we can and we should know who we are, whose we are, and we should know what we possess, and we should know the needs of others in our community. One of the prayers that we ought to be praying on a daily basis is, Lord, help me to see the needs around me. I remember when I was in seminary, Dr. Booker used to tell us in, in our evangelism classes that, that one of the prayers that we should be praying as we think about just interacting with lost people is to be sensitive to those needs around us. God, give me eyes that can see those things and those people and areas and ways that I can minister and be a blessing. So we should serve also for the glory of Christ and the good of others. This is our next step as a disciple of Jesus. So that's five things that I believe enabled them to go. Here's the second question I want us to tackle. How can I go in service on a mission to others? So we've seen how the early church did it. We saw how the early church was motivated and encouraged and desiring to go and, and, and to be on mission to serve others and to be on mission for Christ. So how can we do that here at Red Lane in 2020, 2000 or so years removed from what we're reading in the text. How can I go in service? Three major thoughts this morning. First of all, understand who you are and what you possess in Christ. I wonder this morning, do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know the difference he's made in your life? I think sometimes as Christians, we get depressed, we get discouraged, we lose heart because we don't fully comprehend and, and understand all that Jesus has richly blessed us with. So here's some things to be reminded of. In Christ, you are loved. You may not be loved by your spouse, you may not be loved by your kids, you may not be loved by your family, you may not be loved by your neighbors or your coworkers, your classmates at school or anybody in this world. You may be hated by everybody, but Jesus loves you. I hope that's not true. I'm just painting the worst-case scenario here that you may be the, 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 the worst, terrible person in the world and no one likes you, but Jesus loves you. And in Christ, if you know him as Lord and Savior, he loves you. You are loved. You're pursued. Jesus is pursuing you. He pursued, pursued you in salvation. He pursues you today. You're desired. The only reason God pursue, pursues you is because he desires to be in relationship. He cares for you. I love how the Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. You're secure. Jesus is the one who sustains your life. He's the one who sustains your eternal life. You are secure in Christ. Everything in your life may be crumbling. Everything in culture may be crumbling, but Jesus is your security. You're blessed. You may look around and say, I don't know. I don't feel very blessed. You're blessed. I hear some guys say sometimes, well, Mr. Nade will say sometimes, I'm upright, right? That's a blessing right there. You got up this morning. You're upright. You're valuable. Even in this small group, we're going to talk about God's value that he places upon every single human life. You are valuable. Anybody who's struggling with, with the way they per perceive themselves or think about themselves or, or, or some self-esteem issues, and, and, and sometimes that can lead you to think crazy thoughts and, and, and damaging and, and hurtful thoughts about yourself, understand and remember today, you are valuable. Your life matters. On Sanctity of Life Sunday, we ought to remember that every single person is valuable. And if you know Jesus, the gospel has changed your life. The Bible tells us that you've been brought from death to life. 
Sin no longer is your master. Righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus covers your life. You are not who you once were. You are a child of the King. Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. The old is past. Behold, all things have become new. See, knowing all of this frees you up to serve and to go with Christ to others. You've got to know who you are and what you possess in Jesus. And so what do you possess? A lot of times when we tackle a question like this, our mind goes to money. You think about how much money you got in the bank account, how many possessions you have, how many cars you own, how many whatever. We think of tangible or, or, or material type things. And yet what we see in the Bible is the Lord gifts us with so much more than just material things. The Lord has gifted us with spiritual gifts that are to be used for God's glory and the good of others. Uh, in the text here, we do see the church using the material things to bless and benefit others. We need to do that. We need to be givers. But let's also understand our spiritual giftedness. And let's utilize that in the service of our brothers and sisters in the church. Let's use that in, in service to those in our community. And so what is your spiritual gift? Sometimes I meet believers that have no idea what their spiritual gift is. And so if that's you this morning, there are some tests that we can help you to, to, to go through, work through, and these tests are not foolproof. What they basically do is they sort of put you in a general direction of, uh, of what your giftedness might be. It's not a telltale thing. It's not uh, hard and fast. It's exactly what your giftedness is. But it'll help you think through and at least pursue a, a direction of what your giftedness can be. But here's what I've come to understand is that the more that I just say yes to God, and the more I say yes to what he would have me do in the church, the more I begin to understand what my giftedness is. And so rather than just saying, I, I'm not going to serve until I know exactly what my gift is, why don't you just put your yes on the table and just begin to serve. And what happens is, is that as you faithfully say yes and serve the Lord and serve the body of Christ, your passions and your giftedness become closer and closer, and you begin to understand what you're good at, what you're gifted at, and what you're passionate about in life. And so, do you know what you possess? It will enable you to serve and to go. Uh, I mentioned the material things. God does gift us with what we have. One of the things that we have to learn as a maturing follower of Jesus Christ is that we're not owners, we're stewards. We don't own anything in this world. God has given us, and so what we have, it's a gift from the Lord. Therefore, I need to understand that it's not mine to hold with clenched fists. It's mine to hold with open palms and to steward and to manage for the glory of Christ and for the good of other people. Using my possessions, using the things God's given me to be a blessing to others. Do you see how the Lord wants us to use our material goods just like he used the church and to be a blessing to the people around them? So understanding that you are a steward rather than an owner frees you up to serve, frees you up to go on mission to, with Christ to others. This is the second thing, and i got to do this quickly because i gotta, uh, I got a few things that I want to share at the end. Number two, commit to serve in the body of Christ. We're talking about your giftedness. Put those to service in the church. Here's a slogan that sometimes we use around here, every member a minister. And so every one of us need to understand that I'm a minister for Christ. I'm here as a servant for Christ, and I want to serve, and I should serve for God's glory in the body of Christ. Service is not just for the pastor and the staff and a few leaders. In fact, if I understand the Bible correctly, if I understand Ephesians chapter 4 correctly, my main responsibility is to equip the body of Christ for the work of Christ. 
So my job is to help you to do your job. My job is to help you to be better at what you do so that more service, more ministry, more gospel is being proclaimed and shared and more needs are being met. We need to serve the body of Christ. In your bulletin this morning, there's a little card there, and I hope you saw it. If not, I want you to take a second, pull your bulletin out, and grab that card. And here's what I want you to do with this card. If you're not serving in some capacity already, and you are interested, I don't want you to do this unless you're just under the Holy Spirit conviction right now, and you're about ready to fall out on the floor, and you're supposed to laugh at that a little bit. Seriously, this is an opportunity for if you're not serving in some capacity to just say, you know what, my yes is on the table. Don't know what that service looks like, but I'm willing to talk with somebody. So fill that card out. And what I want you to do this morning is when the service is completed, I just want you to leave it there in the, in the seat, and we will come by and pick it up after the service, and we will contact you with that. So if you're not serving in any capacity, this is an opportunity to say, um, I want my yes on the table. I'm interested. I want to serve the Lord and the body of Christ. A third thing, how can I go in service and on mission to others? Engage in gospel work. Engage in gospel work. A lot of times I'll, I'll get questions from people within the church or outside the church, and, and the question usually is around the idea of how do we do evangelism? What are we doing to reach the community? And a lot of times that question is asked with the idea that, that we should do events. We should do like crusades or we should do this or that. And the whole idea is we got to draw people to a, a place to, for an event so that we can kind of get them in closed doors and share the gospel with them. And, and all those are fine and wonderful. And God has used them in phenomenal ways over the years and over the centuries and in various places and various cultures around the world. But today in our culture here in Virginia, I believe that the most effective way to reach our community with the gospel is personal evangelism. You see, the gospel, or, or the Great Commission, I should say, tells us to go and make disciples. It doesn't say do an event and tell them to come and hear the gospel. It tells us to go and make. So as I'm living my life, as I'm doing what I would normally do, I am to take personal responsibility for the people's lives and their hearts and their spiritual destination. I am to take that personally and influence them with the gospel, all of the people who are around me, where I live, where I work, and where I play. Thinking of them as concentric circles of influence. Who are the people who are closest to me? Who are the people I, I'm around all the time? You're at dance with your daughter, and, and, and they're the same people there every single week, and you're talking about everything else in the world. Why not have a gospel conversation with them? Or at the ball field or wherever you may be, in the break room at work. Who are the people in my life that I can influence? My neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, my family, my classmates, personal evangelism. Last year, in January, we, uh, we launched a, an evangelism initiative that's called Bless Every Home. And so you'll see this on the screen. I just want to remind you, several of you signed up for this last year. And hopefully this past uh, 12 months, you have been utilizing this on a regular basis. That, that email that's coming through, those five names, you're praying for them. You're looking for opportunities to meet your neighbors, to engage your neighbors, to share and to care and to... Uh, disciple your neighbors all for the purpose 
of seeing them come to know Christ and grow in their relationship with Christ. But Bless Every Home is an amazing thing. And so if you've not signed up for it or you forgot about it, I want you to go to our website. You can click on the resource page. It'll take you right there to Bless Every Home. You can sign up, connect back to Red Lane Baptist so we know how many lights we have in our area. But this is a way for you to know who your neighbors are, to put a name with perhaps a face because you see them on the road and know how to pray for them on a regular basis. Well, we think about personal evangelism. We need to understand it's multifaceted. So this is one way. There's also other ways. And so uh, we want to have spiritual conversations. We want to invite people to church with us. We want to present the gospel fully to them. I really believe that we should all engage with all three of these on a regular basis. And so let me share with you a thing that we're publicizing now for the first day. And so here's what we did as as elders a few months ago. We were planning the year out and talking through what we could do to help us as a church to be more evangelistic. So when I said a while ago we should not that 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 events are not the focus of what we should do as far as evangelism, I wasn't negating that. I was just saying you need to take personal responsibility on a daily basis to influence. So here's an event that we're gonna do March first, Sunday, March first, it's called Friend Day. And so this is nothing new. This is like old school Southern Baptist. Let's, let's go out and shake the bushes and, and, and try to encourage people to come to, to church with me. So I want you to put this day down in your calendar. Make sure you're here on Sunday, March 1st. This is going to be a big day for us. And the goal is, the idea is, is that every one of us invite and bring a friend or a family member who's not a follower of Jesus, who's not connected to a local church, and to bring them here on that day so that they can hear the gospel, and we'll just wait and see what God has to do with that. So, there's an opportunity for you to be an invite. I believe the easiest thing for you to do, when I say it's multifaceted, uh, sharing the gospel is multifaceted. So, you invite people, you personally share, you're praying with people, that all those things work into play together. Perhaps the easiest thing that you can do is say, you know, I go to Red Lane, I, do you go to church anywhere? No, I really don't. I haven't been to church in years. Man, I'd love for you to come and be my uh, friend. I'd love for you to be my guest at church this Sunday morning. In fact, we're having a big day. It's going to be an incredible day on March 1st. But you don't have to wait till then. But come with me and be my guest at Red Lane Baptist Church. We can be inviters. I know as you hear that, some of you are thinking, I don't know that I could ever do that. I don't know that I could ever actually invite somebody. Well, I just want to motivate you this morning. And uh, let me share with you a, a, an initiative we're launching this morning. It's one of our uh, denomination initiatives that's been going on and blessing churches uh, for several months now all across our convention. It's called Who's Your One? And so what we're going to do is we're, we're taking that neighborhood that we have through Bless Every Home or other circles of influence that we have, which sometimes you can get lost in the forest for all the trees, and you think, I don't know what to do. And so for the next 40 days, here's what I want you to do for Friend Day. Focus on one person whether that's the person that lives next to you, person that's across from you in the cubicle, person that sits across from you in the class at school. Focus on one single person. Begin to pray for that person. And here's some motivation that will help you during these 40-plus days, and that is just getting under the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say about how I can and should be evangelizing others? And so up here on the front, on either side, are paper copies of this devotional that we've printed for you. Now, Others of you, like me, you'd prefer it electronically. That way you don't have to keep up with 20 pages of stuff that's stapled together. And so you'll see there on the screen, 
that if you use the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, you can find this devotion there, and you can utilize it right there with your Bible reading. So I want to encourage you to do that. But this will start this coming Wednesday. That is 40 days from March 1st. So this Wednesday, I want to encourage you to take this devotional and all of us start working through it. It is real simple. It's real short. I'll just, if you've got eyes, it's, it's one page, and that's like 16 font. So for you that say, I don't know if I could read that, you can read it, okay? You can read it. Don't use that as an excuse. And it's short. You think, I don't have enough time. Seriously, you got three minutes? You can do this, all right? There's no excuse. I really believe what the Bible says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If I will sit under the word of God and I will memorize it and I will put it in my heart, I will pray through it and I will say yes, then God's word will be a power source in my life that I can actually go and do what he tells me to do. That's what this is all about. So we're going to be uh, studying together, devoting ourselves to the Lord together, and then on February 1st, we're going to bump it up a notch, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to have a prayer emphasis. And so next Sunday, we'll have all of these prayer guides available, and this will start 30 days out from Friend Day. And all of this is, is it's a simple way. you got a couple of Bible verses there, and it's a simple prayer that it leads you through that you're praying, and you put your person's name, your one, you put in that prayer, and you pray for that person a little differently every single day. And I believe that if we'll do that, we'll put our yes on the table, God will show up and do an incredible move of God on friend day. You believe that? I was kind of half-hearted. You believe it? I hope so. I hope so. We want to be a church that's engaging our community. We want to be a church that's making a difference where we live, where we work, and we play. I'll be honest, the things that are happening in our culture politically, the things that are happening in our state right now, and how we have seen a, a, a an, oh, not an overt, well, yeah, an overt, I guess that's the right word, an overt, very strong move toward liberal type of mentalities. I, I will just confess, this is confession 101 this morning, that in the back of my mind I thought, man, I don't know about this Virginia stuff. Is there another state we could all move to? That's, that's kind of what I thought. I've not exp- expressed this to even my wife, but I've had these thoughts. And then I think, no, it's just like I'm on the mission field. You see, the only way to change my culture is not to get certain people in certain houses. The way for my culture to be changed is for me to take the gospel and let it just so bless me and so change my life. And I take it and I share it with others and God uses it to change their life who change, share it with others and share it with others and share it with others. And as we share the gospel with people in our community, you know what happens? It's the same thing that happened in the early church where the people in Antioch were so radical in their faith that the believers or the non-believers who were looking at them, they said, you are nothing more than little Christ. You're like you're turning this world upside down. So how are we going to affect this culture that we live in that is moving so strongly and so quickly away from what we would understand to be biblical, Christian, Judeo ethics? How do we change that? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's not complain about what's happening in the governor's mansion or what's happening on Capitol Hill or what's happening in the White House. Let's, let's, let's just get on our knees and ask the Lord to fill us with his spirit and then let's go to work with the gospel. This morning I started with, with kids and their growth. It's an amazing thing to see kids develop. You know what I love also? I love seeing the body of Christ develop and grow. 
I love seeing Christians, new Christians, on fire for the Lord, reading their Bible, and they're so intrigued, and they come, and, Pastor, have you seen this before? Pastor, I've never heard this before. Pastor, I can't even understand that God would do this for me. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I've read that. Yeah, God, it's so encouraging to see that. And it's like, you know, I'm the adult, and they're the, they're the child, and they're so excited, but I'm rejoicing because they're finding truth that they've never known before. But I love it not just there, but I love it when a seasoned Christian is continuing to grow and continuing to find new opportunities to serve and to minister and to be a blessing to others. That's what it's all about. As we as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, individually and corporately, commit ourselves to come to Christ and to grow in Christ and to go with Christ in service and on mission with others. And so today, what is the next step that you need to take? Perhaps there's some in this room today that your next step is you need to come to Christ. There's never been a moment in your life where you said yes to Jesus and no to your sin. Where you repented of that sin and turned fully in faith to Jesus Christ. Today needs to be your day that you come to Christ. Perhaps it's the, the, for you, you need to come to Christ's church. You're, you've been visiting for some time, and, and God is just saying, here's where you need to be. This is where you're going to grow spiritually. Here's where you're going to serve. And so you need to come to Christ and to his church. Maybe some others need to be baptized. I've had conversations in recent days where people have just told me, you know, I've never been baptized, or my baptism's on the wrong side of my conversion. And so today, yeah, that, that's the invitation for you. Your next step is I need to be baptized. I need to follow through with believers' baptized, bap, whatever it is, baptism. You know what I mean. Sometimes my tongue gets in the way of what I'm wanting to say. What's your next step this morning? What is your next step? You say, I, I don't know what it should be. Well, I'm thankful for the gospel that it's always inviting us. And so what is it? What is it this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that we can come to you. For some reason, Second Peter 3, 9 has been in my back of my mind since we started singing this morning. And I'm grateful for the love that we see there that you wish that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith. So, God, I pray this morning that as we have looked at the early church and we've seen how they came to Christ, responded to the gospel, we see how they connected with one another in biblical community and began to study and pray and serve with one another, and we see how that impacted their community. God, we want that to happen and continue to happen here in this local church called Red Lake. Lord, I pray that right now our hearts are open our ears are attentive and our yes is on the table God perhaps there's a man senior adult middle adult that they need to come to Christ quit playing games we know we can never fool you and we'd be foolish to think that we're really fooling our family People have been praying for this man, maybe a woman. Today is the day they need to come to Christ. Today's the day that families need to come and say, you know what, we want to join this church. We want to, we want to plug in. We want to get involved. We want to serve. Today's the day I need to. I need, I need to say yes to baptism. Today's the day I need to say no to sin as a believer. I, I just need to confess that. I need to be right with God. I need to be right with others. God, whatever the decisions you're leading us to this morning, I pray that we'd say yes.
So in just a moment, as we stand to our feet and as we sing as we always do, this time of response begins. God, I pray that we would respond in faith, respond in repentance.